want you to tell me if you can what the following phrases have in common with one another. All right, here we go. The phrases are number one, at your wits end. I think we've all heard that before. Uh, maybe somebody's had it. Uh, they become frazzled. We look at them and we go, you know what? You look like you are at your wits end. Here's another one. The blind leading the blind. Been there, done that. Now, I'm going to guess you have too. Uh, you've been in a situation where no one knows what they're doing, but someone in a, in a group takes the lead. And so we look at them and we go, you know what? It feels like the blind are leading the blind. We know that phrase, right? This one too. By the skin of your teeth. Hey, you know what, buddy? You just made it by the skin of your teeth. Here's another one. A fly in the ointment. And just one more. A leopard cannot change its spots. So again, I'm just going to ask you, that these are five pretty common phrases. I could have named more. What do they have in common? I'm going to guess that most of you know this, but each one of these five phrases, there's, there's about 18 altogether, have their origins in the Bible. In fact, I kind of find this interesting that the Oxford English Dictionary credits the Bible, the Wycliffe Bible, with more early citations of English words than the works of Dickens, Jane Austen, Thomas Hardy, and John Milton combined. So get this, the Bible even outranks William Shakespeare with a grand total of 1,547 new words and phrases compared to Shakespeare's writings in the year 1524. All of this I'm putting in front of you because I believe it makes our topic today interesting, fun, and hopefully a little bit challenging. In today's podcast, I want to come around another phrase that I've discovered a lot of people don't know come to us right out of the pages of the Bible. So the phrase is, can you read the handwriting on the wall? We're going to return to chapter 5 in the book of Daniel today, and I want to come around this phrase with a couple of questions. So the questions are, number one, what are the origins of the phrase? In what context do they take place? Secondly, um, do these words make any sense today? I mean, do they hold any significance for us? Uh, the, the truth is, I probably hear this phrase used more in the secular realm than the spiritual, but I, I believe it's a spiritual phrase. So, so what are the spiritual connotations? I want to ask that today. And then thirdly, how do they apply in a personal way? I want to ask you to think about that as we begin a new year together. I, I always believe that, that, that new years are made for personal reflection. So I'm going to be asking you to think about this. Where is God possibly asking you, where is he asking me to take a look at and to read the handwriting on the wall? So as we get ready to jump into the topic, I'm going to share with you a recent report from CNBC because I kind of found this interesting. Honestly, the report is not entirely new. And in fact, in some, res in some res respects, I think that this simply represents CNBC's attempt to translate uh, what I'm calling a recent data from the Pew Research Center, indicating a downward trend in a religious affiliation on the part of the millennial generation. If you remember this, stats indicate uh, a 6% increase among young adults who declare no religious affiliation. That's uh, up from 2016, 
2016, 23% of millennials said, nope, no religious affiliation uh, today, 29%. Not, not a big surprise. Here's, here's what I did find surprising. Uh, I found in this article the effort of CNBC to subtly lift up as exemplary uh, what it called innovative churches throughout the United States that are putting a spin on Christianity to make it more appealing to those that are leaving the church. Um, this is what I found surprising. I'm not, I'm not going to try to go through all these, but I want you to just listen to some of the leaders and to churches that uh, were lifted up in this report. The first is a church in Los Angeles, California. Uh, the report suggests that young people are flocking to. Here, here's why. Because, quote, rather than the church becoming entangled with theological matters, it has pivoted to make itself into a socio-political machine, encouraging the young to vote for matters that matter, end quote. You know what? I read that. And I thought, yeah, that sounds really good. Vote for matters that matter. It resonates with a demographic base that's intent on bringing about change, even if it's for change sake alone. But let me ask you this. Where in Scripture do you see Jesus encouraging anyone to vote, much less spend time on political issues? Um, then there's a church on the Lower East Side of New York City. It's featured for its quote-unquote cutting-edge approach to women's rights immigrant rights, and racial justice. Now, I, I don't want anyone listening uh, today to misunderstand me. I know, and I, and I believe this personally, that there are serious issues within each of these categories. I, I understand that. I, I acknowledge that. I'm, I'm willing to work towards that. But I don't want you to miss this point. What the article lifts up is not so much the issues at hand, but the willingness of this particular church's pastor to abandon what she calls traditional Christianity, i.e. the Bible. Her church's motto is this, join us at the intersection of therapy and Broadway where old-time religion gets a new twist, really. So, so let me make an observation. If, if I were to ask the authors of this CNBC article to answer the question, what, what is the handwriting on the wall for the church today? How, how would they answer I don't want to put words in the mouths of, of authors uh, that I don't know, and I, and I should not do that. But I'm going to say this. Given the emphasis of this article, I'm guessing that they might answer that the handwriting on the wall could be spelled with one six-letter word, C-H-A-N-G, change. I believe these authors, and, and many with them in our world, would suggest now, listen, if the church wants to survive, it needs to get off its old horse and make some changes that might cause it, like the churches featured, to become more appealing through the changing demographic in our Western world today. But I'm going to ask this question, at what cost? At what peril? So do we understand where the phrase comes from? Where did the phrase, read the handwriting on the wall, actually originate? I invite you to return with me uh, today to the fifth chapter of Daniel. Uh, if you remember last week, we met up with Belshazzar, the co-regent, the co-king, along with his father Nabonidus of Babylon. Now, question. Do you remember the date upon which this narrative 
and Daniel rests, or, or said simply. Do you remember what day it was? It's kind of interesting. When you open your Bible to Daniel chapter 5, there's no date given where, where you're able to simply mark the event that's described. But did you know? We do know the date. And, and I'm, I'm saying we precisely know the date. The date that chapter 5 of Daniel takes place is October 11th, 539 B.C. In fact, I can pinpoint the hour at which it began, 5.30 p.m. Now, you're asking, at least I hope you are, okay, so why is God, how do you know that? It's a good question. So I want you to remember with me that the Bible is not only a theological book. It's a historical book as well. And because it is, we're able, using extra-biblical histories written within the time frame that the Bible describes to collaborate the historicity of its, of its accounts. By the way, this is, this is always one of the things that bothers me when people uh, tell me that the Bible and its accounts are made, up, are made up stories. They're forgetting. You know what? There was a world around the Bible. They're forgetting. Secular, non-believing pagans wrote histories that actually demonstrate just how accurate the Bible is. And I think this is certainly true when it comes to the book of Daniel. We have a secular source titled History of the Chaldean Kings that absolutely collaborates the events described in the book of Daniel. And it's through this book that we can pinpoint to the day and to the hour the incident described in Daniel chapter 5 to October 11, 539 B.C. So let me ask you, what happened on that day? Remember uh, where we left off last week, Babylon is actually under attack, uh, under siege, coming quickly towards its border walls are the armies of the Medo-Persian Empire under the direction of King Darius or Cyrus. So what does Belshazzar the king do? Remember this, knowing that his empire is under attack, he decides against all logic to throw a regal orgy. That's where we left off last week. Belshazzar has invited a thousand of Babylon's ruling class to a blasphemous orgy. People gathered around, they're pounding down wine, they're eating Babylon's best, they're praying against all odds that the mighty walls of the city would hold up. They would not, which is when the hand appeared. And you did hear me correctly. A disembodied hand appeared and began writing on the wall. I'm going to read just verses 5 and 6 uh, of Daniel here, and I, I'm going to ask you to place yourself into this room. I want you to see and experience this eerie, disembodied hand writing on the wall. And I'm just going to pray, Lord, that as we read these words in Daniel 5, that you give us your insights. Amen. This is uh, Daniel 5. And again, uh, I'm just reading verses 5 and 6. It says, immediately the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. Then the king's color changed and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. I was reading this. I was thinking, do you guys remember the character of the hand in the Munsters movie? Remember the monsters? And in that movie, the hand is somewhat of a humorous character. It pops up, provides comic relief. 
But this, this wasn't always the case. Did a little bit of research. And actually, I discovered that in 1964, when the character of the hand first appeared in the original Munsters, it was not humorous at all. Uh, it's actually loosely based on this disembodied hand that we're reading about here in Daniel. The original uh, hand uh, in the Munsters was part of a whole creature that was so horrible to look at, so terrifying to look at, that only the hand was made to appear. In other words, one look at it would paralyze a person with fear. It was scary. So it was this hand. It's not a joke. It wasn't meant to be funny. It's meant to terrify. So, so the question is, what was it? Most uh, conservative theologians be believe, of course, that the hand belonged to an angel. This makes sense, uh, given the frequent role that angels and Daniel play and the ability of angels to manifest themselves. Uh, it's a terrifying hand. And in fact, that's the response that we see in Belshazzar. Again, his color changes. Uh, the English says his thoughts alarmed him. They, they, they actually destroy him is the, the, the better uh, translation. And his knees begin to, to knock together. You can just see him beginning to collapse. You know why? Because he knows he's in the presence of something supernatural. And he knows that whatever the hand is writing on the wall, it's, it's not good. And it isn't good, at least for Belshazzar and the nation of Babylon. The Chronicles of the Kings tells us that at precisely 5.30 p.m. on October 11th, Babylon as a nation began its collapse. It would fall to the Medo-Persian uh, armies in one night. Again, not because the Medo-Persians were, were all that accomplished, but because the God of the universe declared it. He willed it. So let me ask this question. What was the hand on the wall writing? Uh, we're going to get to the precise meaning and, and the message uh, of that next week, but I don't want you to come up above that uh, today. Get, get up above the action, because I want you to capture fully the meaning of the phrase. The phrase that we've adopted into our English language is, let's read the handwriting on the wall. So what does that mean? I want to put this into spiritual terms. Today, in our English language, when we use the phrase, read the handwriting on the wall, Generally, we're referring to what? I'm going to say this simply, bad news. When we say read the handwriting on the wall, we're suggesting that there's some bad news coming, bad news that almost everyone can see except who? Except the persons that need to see it, right? So a football coach has flat out failed. Do they want to see it? Can they see it? Nope. They stand in front of cameras. They insist I can turn it around. I'm going to make this a winning team. They cannot read the handwriting on the wall. It's clear to everyone around them they're getting ready to be fired. Politicians fail morally. Quite often they do, but they don't want to read the handwriting on the wall. They've got to resign. Every round, everyone around them can see it, yet they fight to stay in office. In secular terms, the phrase refers to the obvious, to hard news. The phrase is meant to warn, to say, pay attention to what's happening right in front of you. You may not want to see it, but you need to see it. So it's secular meaning. What's its spiritual meaning? See, I believe it's even deeper than that. When I describe what's happening here in Daniel chapter 5, I can't help but think about all those times in our lives when God is trying to tap us on the shoulder and get our attention. He's calling for us to hear him. You know why? Because the course that we're on in our lives is disastrous. When God gives us his handwriting on the wall, he's not trying to destroy us. He's trying to save us. He's saying, listen, before it's too late. 
was thinking about this and a word came to mind. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the biblical term woe. I always think of it this way. We say it to horses. We want them to slow down. We want them to stop. So what do we do? We yell, woe. You know, in the Bible, God yells, woe. In the Greek language, the, the word is actually uai. I, I always describe it as one of the strongest terms in all of the Bible. Strong because it needs to be. Strong because God is trying to get our attention. He's trying to say, slow down, stop, listen. In fact, the first several chapters of the Revelation are filled with this word. And these God is commending each of the seven churches that are written to for things that are kingdom building and pleasing. Then the table turns and God says, church, ooh, whoa, stop. You know, as I read the CNBC article shared earlier in this podcast, I could almost hear that word. Whoa, church, do not try to bend over so far as to appease culture that you slip and fall into it, to quote the great homiletician Will Williman. Stand on it, scripture, it's true. Stand on the gospel, stand on the person of Jesus Christ. Read the handwriting on the wall. I want to close with some questions today. First, I want to ask you today, where, where has God possibly been gently tapping you on the shoulder? Where has he been talking to you? Where has he been speaking the word, woe? Be easy to shrug the question off to say, you know what? I think I'm okay. Things are good here. But I just want to remind you that the stories of the Bible are not here for the sake of producing a history lesson. They're here because God still acts in our lives, still writes on the walls of our lives. Why? Because he loves us too much not to say, stop. Listen, the course that you're on is disastrous. We're standing today at the beginning of a new year, of a new year, and I'm just asking the question, what word would God have you to hear today? Second, what makes it so hard for us to hear? What gets in the way of hearing or seeing the handwriting on the wall? When I look at both history and the Bible, I don't know about you, but I'm struck by the fact that we really do have a hard time hearing God. Mostly, I believe, because we don't want to. Is it pride? Is it our stubborn will? I don't know what it is that gets in the way of hearing him. Here's why I ask. I believe that over the last two years, God, in a significant way, has been writing on the walls of our culture, yes, but mostly the church. Through a pandemic, he's been sending us some simple but profound messages. He's been calling us back, I really believe this, to basics, to his word, to faith, to what it means to follow him. Today, we stand at the beginning of 2022. Please, let's stop and read the handwriting on the wall. Well, that's it for today. I look forward to seeing you next week. This is God-sized living. I, I, uh, I hope and pray that this is a blessing to you. I want to pray for you and your family as we enter this new year, and I would just ask that you would pray for me as well. Until next week, we're going to sign off and just remind you to have a great and God-sized week.